Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. From the blackest corners of your mind, they call, pulling you deep into shadow, twisting your senses, keeping you from sleep. It's time to face your darkest fears. This is Tales to Terrify. Good evening, children of the night, and welcome. We have one more staff member to throw in the spotlight this week. A name which, if you've been following the show for any amount of time, you're no doubt quite used to hearing by now. Seth Williams and I go way back. The two of us started our journeys with Tales to Terrify right around the same time as fledgling narrators. At the time, the podcast was still part of the District of Wonders. Stephen Kilpatrick, Philip Oldham, and Scott Silk were at the helm. Seth's first assignment? A Jack the Ripper-inspired tale called Underwriting Department, which ran on episode 204, way back in December of 2015. Since then, Seth's been a prolific narrator for the show. By my count, he's lent his deep, dulcet tones to just shy of fifty narrations. He's also stepped behind the veil as part of the editing team, first as an associate editor, and now managing editor. If you've ever submitted a tale to Tales to Terrify and had the pleasure of receiving an accepted email, it was Seth that pushed that final button and sealed your fate. 
Seth's passion for dark fiction and no-nonsense approach to selecting only the finest horrible morsels for your ears has not only been essential to get us to where we are as a podcast, but also truly helped keep us alive through some challenging times and evolutions. Thanks for all the terrifying times over the years, Seth. This podcast truly wouldn't be what it is today without you, and I couldn't have asked for a better partner in crime. Well, you've officially met the twisted creatures that keep the gears turning and the furnaces belching. Now that they're not strangers, I bet you're itching for your chance to horrify and harass them with some terrors of your own, aren't you? Well, you're in luck. Our next flash fiction contest is nearly upon us. The theme this time around? The Changing Seasons. An endless cycle of light and dark, death and rebirth. So much is tied to the seasons. Just take a look at any volume of dark folklore. Whatever your take on it, we want to hear the most twisted and terrifying yarns you can spin on the theme of Changing Seasons. This contest opens February 15th and will run through to April 1st. I'll be updating the website shortly and will make sure to post on social media once the portal opens. In the meantime, get those dark thoughts churning. I'd love to have another record turnout for this one. Before we dive into our fiction, I'd like to extend our deepest, darkest thanks this week to our newest patron, Lessel Baxter. I have no words to describe the Stygian depth of our thanks, Lessel. It means so much to us that you not only invite us into your nightmares each week, but help to fuel our misdeeds, too. Thank you from the bottom of our black hearts. If you'd like to join Lessel and other incredible people who support our podcast, head over to patreon.com slash tales to terrify. You'll not only get the sick satisfaction of knowing you're helping to disturb thousands of people from across the globe, but also other fun perks, like merch and ad-free episodes. That's patreon.com slash tales to terrify. Speaking of disturbing people, our first story for the evening comes from Mark Taus. Mark Taus is an Englishman living in Australia. He would sell his soul to the devil, or anyone buying, if it meant he could write full-time. Alas, he left it very late to begin his journey, penning his first story since primary school at the ripe old age of forty-five. Since then he's been published in Flash Fiction Magazine, The Dread Machine, Cosmic Horror, Suspense Magazine, Pair Abnormal, and Raconteur. His work has also appeared on many exceptional podcasts such as The Grey Rooms, No Sleep, Creepy, Tales to Terrify, and more. He's written several well-received novellas such as Nana, Crows, Hope Wharf, Nature's Perfume, and his most recent, One Last Shindig, which is available now from D&T Publishing. Children of the Night, join me 
from Mark Towse's Mount Pleasant House, a Tales to Terrify original. The winter sun leaked through the gaps in the thick grime on the window of Alf's second-floor room. It fell across his arthritis-ridden knees, bringing some relief to the constant nag of pain, but also an intense feeling of loneliness and alienation from the world beyond the walls. Outside, people would be breathing the air and taking in all the delicious smells and colors that he once took for granted. They would be laughing, loving, and crying. Living. The fading yellow paint on the walls of the nursing home, combined with the harsh and sterile smell of detergent, only emphasized the drabness of Alf's existence. It was a glorified waiting room, housing for the nearly dead. Visitors were rare. Sometimes weeks would pass without a familiar face. Even then, it was over so quickly. Small talk, an awkward hug, and see you next time. The money was gone. There was nothing in it for them. No reason to stick around. Edith was different, though. She was his best friend, another resident from a couple of doors down. She just came around for the company. Last time they caught her in Alf's room, though, they dragged her back to her quarters and gave her a beating. He heard every blow that landed, wincing at each. Through the thick glass, he could hear the guffaws and screams from the children at the school further down the road. He loved playtime. It had a humanizing effect that temporarily removed him from the sadistic rituals of the home. He pricked his ears up and turned towards the door, mouth open and heart strumming in his ear. She's coming. As the footsteps echoed down the corridor, the sun slowly began to sink away as if it was also terrified of the woman that walked the halls. Skin beginning to crawl, his stomach let out a groan at the unmistakable slow and menacing rhythm that he knew to be the stroll of the chief nurse, Rebecca. He suspected that she moved like that on purpose, like a lion sauntering towards its prey, spreading anxiety and fear among the residents. The other nurses were apathetic, sometimes abusive, depending on their mood, but she... Well, she brought an unpredictability that made Alf long for his wait to be over. The footsteps stopped, and Alf held his breath. Sometimes she did it for kicks. Alf was sure of it. That's how Rebecca caught them last time. Removed her shoe so they couldn't hear her approach. Evil to the bone she was. Those that tried to stand up to her would be shut away for days. Sometimes until death. But what could they do? Nobody in the normal world cared. Why should they? Pass their sell-by date. Unwanted. No refund available. Alf gripped the sheets tightly and screwed his eyes shut. He focused on the laughter of the children, their joy, and lust for life. 
He imagined the smell of the wet mud in the playground and the smoke from the surrounding houses where wood fires undoubtedly burned. They could never take that away. The scenes and accompanying soundtrack. That was his. She would if she could. Sometimes, she just stood outside the door but didn't enter. He knew she was there, though. Could sense the impending menace. It was just a part of the game she played. But this time, the door was pushed firmly open. Alf! She called it with unusual joviality. Immediately, a shiver ran down his spine. One word, just his name, but so much fear. His body was trembling, and suddenly it felt even colder, as though she had stolen the remaining warmth. And the smells that he had conjured were now replaced with the familiar, but also a touch of something else, something bad, like rotting meat. Look at me, she barked. His room was clean. He had made sure of that, especially after last time. He nervously turned his head towards her and slowly opened his eyes. She was small and wiry, but brought a much larger presence, as though adorned in a heavy and stifling cloak of darkness. He guessed she was mid-thirties, but with a margin of ten either side. At one time, he thought, she might have been pretty, but something must have happened to drain the softness away. Rebecca's hair was as white as snow. When he first saw her, he had thought that admirable for someone so young but it soon became just another layer to her iciness. She plastered it down to her scalp with metal hair clips, all with rusty teeth that added to her wicked appearance. The thick coat of lipstick was blood red, and against her pale skin and stark white uniform, the dark eyes and lips dominated her look. There were no smile or laughter lines that could be associated with any sort of emotion, just a series of deep caverns across her forehead that amplified her rigidity. She just looked evil. You have a visitor, she said as she hunched over to slide her heels back on. Who, who is it? He asked with obvious excitement and moaned as he swung his legs from the bed. She turned around and began to walk away. A visitor? Alf's mind raced with limited possibilities. Anything was better than being stuck in the shoebox, wondering when Rebecca would haunt the corridors. Perhaps his family has got a plan. He told them about what was happening, the bits he could remember. But it was so difficult for him now, fragments of time were disappearing along with his credibility. But he had hope. Rebecca was so far in front, most likely strutting in anger, filled with resentment about the visit, Alf thought bitch. He followed the sounds of her echoing footsteps, traveling the familiar drab gray corridor past the many cells of the other residents. That's what he called the rooms. They were all prisoners. No locks on the door, but caught outside your room, and there would be dire consequences. Edith's room was on the left, just a few yards ahead. She came to his last night, and it had been the first time he had laughed for days. Both were losing their mind, forgetting what they were saying mid-sentence, and sometimes before they even started. Rebecca was already out of sight. He knew where to go, though, past the fire exit and to the left. He couldn't stop wondering who the visitor might be. His son and new wife had been last month. Surely they wouldn't bless him with another visit so soon. 
his sister, perhaps? But she was going in for a hip operation. One of the male nurses, Jim, came out of one of the rooms wheeling a trolley full of meds. Immediately the blood started pumping in Alf's ears, and his pace quickened. He pinched his side to distract from the intense pain shooting up both legs. Alf knew to keep his head down and not to look at Jim. His friend Tommy got a broken jaw last week for the privilege. Nervously, Alf walked on, wary of the eyes on him. He could almost feel the nurse willing him to look up, any excuse to take a break from his mundane duties. Finally, he was out of the danger zone and only two doors away from the visiting room. His heart rate began to slow just above normal, as did his pace but he knew he would feel that little burst of speed in his joints for the rest of the day. Another nurse, Kate, emerged from the room and held the door open. She smiled, and it was the first time he had seen her break her face. He warily returned the smile. There was a flurry of excitement again as he approached the room, but it was short-lived. As soon as he crossed the threshold, the door was slammed shut behind him. He immediately felt the warmth trickling down his leg. Rebecca stood behind one of the chairs. She was smiling, too. And if that wasn't enough, the black latex gloves she was wearing created an even more malignant tone. Behind her, the world continued beyond the glass window, oblivious to the terror of Mount Pleasant House. Sit down, Alf. Just a standard dental inspection. Nothing to be concerned about. But there had been no such check in the two years he had been there. But... You said! I lied. Now sit down, Alf. This will all be over quickly. The room started spinning, a montage of drab whites and yellows as the surge of fear washed over him. His legs collapsed beneath him, and suddenly he was falling. He landed on the tile floor in a clumsy heap, agonizing pain tearing through his right leg and the side of his head. Alf wanted to scream, but instead he bit hard into his lip, refusing to show the bitch weakness. She began her approach. Oh, Alf, you are a clumsy old fucker, aren't you? After threading her arms underneath his shoulders, she lifted him roughly onto the chair. Open wide, Alfie. Now, this might hurt a bit, she said before squeezing his jaw tightly. Open your goddamn mouth, you big sack of piss! As he reluctantly did, she moved her face close to his right ear and whispered, I hope your little rendezvous with Edith was worth it. She got hers. Now you get yours. My rules don't get broken. She pinched his nostrils tightly shut and placed her black hand and put her black hand into his mouth. Immediately, Alf started to panic, gasping desperately for air and kicking against the floor to try and get some traction but only succeeding in turning the chair slightly towards the window. He saw the bare trees swing in the breeze and the clouds rolling by. Just another wintry day. His arms flailed at the nurse's grip, but she was far too strong. A host of guttural raspy sounds emerged from his mouth as flashbacks played in his head. Time spent with his wife before cancer stole her, afternoons with his son on the fishing boat, and all the other more mundane stuff that he used to take for granted. Was it worth it, Alf? She screamed at him. He was back. 
Rebecca's cold, dark eyes piercing him and the sickeningly clinical taste of the gloves in his mouth. There was pressure building in his chest, as though it might explode. The black ring around his vision started to close in. The curtains were coming down. But then he saw her, Edith, out of the corner of his eyes. She put a finger to her lips and placed the other hand on Rebecca's shoulder and smiled. At that precise moment, Edith felt incredibly powerful, so far removed from the frail old lady she had become. Most of her days were spent drifting in and out, but now she was present, firing on all cylinders. Rebecca began to jolt, as though a bolt of electricity was running through her. Blood started running down her chin as teeth cut through the lip. The nurse released Alf and let out a high-pitched squeal as she reached for her throat, eyes beginning to bulge and surrounding skin developing a tinge of blue. Edith was beginning to enjoy herself. She was channeling all the hate and pain that had been inflicted on her through to Rebecca in a single hit of agonizing vengeance. It was a dark feeling of power, but there was no guilt, just an overriding sense of justice. As Alf watched the life draining from the nurse, he saw Edith slowly vanishing in front of his eyes, her mouth still stretched in a wide smile. His mind raced with a thousand thoughts, but he was just relieved to have the black glove out of his mouth. Rebecca no longer looked threatening. Pleading desperation had crept in, and she reached out towards him, eyes wide and pointing to her throat. Still trying to suck in as much air as possible, Alf looked her in the eyes and smiled. I guess you got yours too, he spluttered. He watched as she continued clawing at her neck and gasping for air, enjoying every second of pain and confusion that registered across her face. Finally, she fell to the floor and began to writhe like a worm her heels leaving black trails across gray tiles as she kicked out frantically and redundantly, and then she stopped moving. As Alf stumbled painfully back through the corridor and back to his room, the other nurses eyed him warily. He made a point of looking at each one directly in the eyes. They would find out very soon, but without their chief, he had to hope things might change. He waited for them in his room, but none of them came. Edith did, though. Could not remember a thing. Poor dear still didn't even know she was dead. And it wasn't his place to tell her. How could they have done that to someone so defenseless? Alf hoped she would continue her visits. That was Mark Towse's Mount Pleasant House, as read by Alexi Alexander. Alexi is a Toronto-based supporter of small press publishers and audio drama podcasts. In past lives, he has been the drummer of opening bands you were not around to witness, the videographer of the Infinite Sound music vlog, and in 2020, made his voice acting debut on the Vast Horizon podcast from Fool and Scholar Productions. In his spare time, he paints miniatures to assuage the guilt of his ever-increasing to-be-read pile. Thank you, Alexi.
A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Sharon, and here's where it gets interesting. Raise your hand if you want Salon Perfect Nails for just $2 a manicure. Yeah, me too. With the Alvin June Manny system, you can say goodbye to expensive services that take hours and hours and love your nails more than ever. I would know I've been doing it for years. Get 20% off your first Manny system with code PERFECTMANNY20 at alvinjune.com slash PERFECTMANNY20. That's PERFECTMANNY20 at alvinjune.com slash PERFECTMANNY20. Our second tale tonight comes from Matt Brandenburg. Matt Brandenburg is a horror writer from Kalamazoo, Michigan. His work has appeared in 34 Orchard, Dark Corner Zine, Scare Street's Night Terrors, and others. You can hear his voice on the podcast, Staring into the Abyss, where he discusses horror short stories and novels. He lives in a house next to a moldy pumpkin patch with his wife, two children, two dogs, and a maniacal cat. Listen with me, children of the night, to Matthew Brandenburg's The Exterminator's Lament, a Tales to Terrify original. always loved killing bugs. Whenever I hear the satisfying crunch they make under my boot, or feel the squish of their thorax between my fingers, I can't help but believe this is why God put me here on earth. This job is my life, and no matter what my doctor or the others say, I won't stop. When the phone rings, something tells me today will be the day I prove to everyone I still have the chops to be the best exterminator. I finished testing one of my newest contraptions on a few cockroaches, a beautiful thing of metal teeth, glue, and a special concoction of corrosive liquid that all work together like a dream. When I pick up the phone, before I rattle off my spiel, they begin speaking. We just bought the property. The place is huge. A giant hive of a house that's been abandoned for months. The voice sounds like a bunch of mouths jabbering all at once, all of them a hair out of sync. 
The place is teeming with insects. I smacked the receiver against the bench, knocking over the stack of orange pill bottles, but it does nothing to fix the echo. Do you know what's in there? Ants? Termites? A cold sweat slicks my forehead. Spiders? I'd say all of them. Big ones, little ones, flying ones. Those black ones that make their homes out of silk. I hope that's not too many. We heard you were the best. There's a slight itch in my throat, a thudding in my chest. I swallow it down. They still remember me. I just like to make the customer happy. Now, when and where would you need me? While their voice drones on, my attention drifts towards the stack of bills falling off my desk. Then I glance at the dusty awards from the Better Business Bureau. Old thank you letters. Ever since those corporate fat cats came into town, people have stopped appreciating us little guys. But at least I got rid of the bugs. Not like those nature-loving hippies that think prevention before eradication. My free hand tremors. Pain travels up and down my nerves. I take a deep breath and tell myself I can do this. I'm sorry, could you repeat that last part? We said today, if at all possible, some maintenance guys came by. One got bitten by something big, and now they won't touch it until we clear the place of all pests. If you come out today, we will pay you double. You're definitely the perfect person for what we want. I almost choke. I'd be fucking crazy to turn the money down. Besides, it never hurts to hear when someone still appreciates your skill in insect genocide. I almost taste the ribeye and Budweiser Select I'd be splurging on after the job. My cardiologist be damned. It must be pretty bad if they won't go in there. I flip through my empty calendar. I think I can make it work. I'll need to do some prepping, so I'll be there in the afternoon. I hear nothing but a faint ticking sound trickling out of the phone, like tiny legs tapping against a tile floor. Hello? Are you? We can't wait for you to get here. I spend the rest of the morning gearing up, my kit laid next to the supply closet, fully stocked with traps, powder, and liquid poison. It might have been a while since I needed them, but it never hurts to be prepared for a call as big as this one. This is my chance to prove that my style of extermination is still relevant. This means breaking out the big toys. I don't want to show up light and possibly leave a queen behind. If I did, it had proved to everyone that I've lost my skill. My vision wavers and staggers me for a moment as I head to the metal cage. I focus on the diamond-shaped signs, the ones with skulls, until I gain control over my functions. A nagging feeling tells me I should take my pills. I push it away. I'll feel fine once I get my hands on the bug buster pack. Those other corporate places are scared of these, afraid to get their hands a little dirty, afraid to deal with some fines or people crying about the bugs. Even if these are now illegal in some states, you aren't going to find a better way to spend a Saturday than spraying this shit on some creepy crawlies. Watching them as their insides melt, their exoskeletons curling in on themselves, the faint hiss, I like to believe, is their dying screams. A smile forces its way into my wrinkly face, and the pain subsides. After loading my cash into the truck, I suit up. Steel toe boots, overalls, and one of those big rubber gas masks with eye lenses and canister to filter out the poisons I spray. 
God, it feels good to be back in the saddle. On my way, I pass abandoned strip malls and derelict service shops. No one is on the road, which doesn't surprise me. The house is in the middle of nowhere. Seems like the perfect place for a nest of insects to thrive. The wind whips at my sleeves as I slap the side of the truck in time with Motley Crue's wild side. The song sends me back to the string of jobs that allowed me to afford a shop and grow into the number one exterminator in town. An iron claw grips my heart for a minute, but I'm able to push through. The spider slides down from the sun visor, a black mess of legs and abdomen. Sweat tickles the skin on my face. My breath quickens. The hairs on my arms and neck go rigid as thorns on a weed. Fear sends my imagination in overdrive, building images of the monster wrapping me in sticky webbing, pumping me full of poison until my insides dissolve into a bloody soup. The truck hits a patch of dirt and pitches to the right. The spider and I slam into the door together. A gurgling cry bubbles out of me. Working on instinct, I wrestle the steering wheel for control. I catch a bit of erratic motion near my crotch, a black shape scuttling to safety under my leg. Urges to run, to fight, to stay away from its spinnerets all tumble around in my skull. My eyesight tunnels as the world turns gray. The clanking of rocks bouncing up into the wheel wells brings my focus back to the road. I feel the squishy body under my ass and snatch it. My heart and lungs pump like I just ran a marathon. I hold the thing up between my thumb and pointer, its legs searching for purchase. Fear and anger rip through me as I bring the bastard up to my face. A satisfying grin cuts across my face before I pop its body. I wipe the brown goo onto my leg as I pull over. Sweat trickles down my face. My chest hurts. My stomach cramps. God, good thing no one saw that. Wouldn't want anyone to think I'm afraid of spiders. The air in the truck feels thick, so I stick my head out the window, gulping down deep breaths. A thread of worry slithers through my thoughts, telling me maybe I am a little too old. I shake my head. It's just nerves. When the panic clears and my heart doesn't feel like it'll explode, the anxiety lessens, and I put the truck into drive. It doesn't take but a second after pulling up to the house to know this place is an insect's dream. The dirty eaves and decorative molding begging for some colony to nest in. Tall maple trees crowd the lot, ready to jump the fence and take over the yard. Weeds sprout from cracks in the driveway. Birds and insects chirp while I admire the place. Carpenter ants had weaved beautiful works of art along the wooden siding and porch. Warped pine board steps covered with filth and piles of leaves lead up to the peeling front door. They definitely did the right thing calling me. Those other guys wouldn't even know where to begin. Usually with an infestation as bad as they described, the client is jumping out of their skin for me to start clearing their house. But nobody seems to be waiting for me. I stand there, mentally going over my pre-treatment checklist, over and over. A moan emerges from the house, followed by the rusty cry of old hinges as the front door opens. I stare into that darkened threshold, and a strange tickle grows in my guts. Keep it together. The house appears a lot bigger than a moment ago, 
Lots of square footage to cover. Lots of steps to walk up. My muscles creak from the idea. Sweat already coats my forehead. A stabbing pain torments my heart, and I have to lean against the porch to catch my breath. It'll be okay, just like old times. Yet there's a sinking dread in my skull as I feel the empty doorway judging me. I try to zero in on what this job means for me, plus the bonus thrill of getting back into the action and killing a bunch of bugs. Opening my eyes, I find nothing but an open door. Shakier than I want to be, I decide the only cure is to start. It feels good to have the backpack bouncing off my back, nozzles and hoses rattling out a broken cadence, the familiar comforts of destruction. I put one foot on the porch and fall back a step from the awful smell of overripe fruit, soil, and exploded mushrooms. The aroma only grows stronger as I enter the darkness. No amount of bracing myself protects me from the stench. I claw at my pack until I find my gas mask. Anyone home? It's Randy, the exterminator. Silence. A shudder reverberates through the house, sprinkling me with powder from the ceiling. I feel the eyes of enemies on me, and I swear I see movement. The entryway is full of garbage. The floor, filthy. A quick flick of the light switch near the door tells me there's no power, or bulbs are burned out. My heart hammers, and my breath fogs up the eye lenses of my mask. I have to get out from under the shadows and malice that drips from the ceiling. I duck into the opening to my left and find myself in a large room. Light slithers in between thick curtains, revealing moldy lumps of furniture sprouting up from the floor. Darkness creeps in the corners. I scan the area for any sign of my clients, hoping they left a note, but find nothing. Is anyone here? Then at the edge of my vision, I catch the shifting of shadows, accompanied by a sound that makes me think of rubbing fingernails over eggshells. I step out of my mind, forgetting to wait or search for my clients, or be professional enough to at least grab my flashlight. Instead, I whip out the nozzle to my tank and pump the area with a cloud of green death. A bit of drool collects in my chin strap. Images of cockroaches writhing in agony, spiders suffocating, flies twitching, cycle through my mind. Time becomes meaningless as my troubles melt away with the poison I send into the house. In a moment of clarity, I curse at the rookie mistake I'm making. Releasing the trigger, I reach for my flashlight. The gas mask clings to my face, forcing me to fight for every breath. I aim my torch at the wall and push the on button. In most cases, the gas knocks the bastards right out, their rigid bodies scattered across the floor. However, this time, I find an empty space with not a single sign of the insects. Shit, you're jumping at shadows, old man. I should have known better. Should have checked first, especially with this poison. Not only can this stuff stick to surfaces for days, ruining someone's afternoon with a nasty bout of vomiting, if it enters your lungs, game over. Something slimy and heavy tumbles in my stomach. The truth bubbles up. What was I thinking coming out here? My monotone voice of reason comes out of the depths of my mind. You know why. 
No, I can't do it. I need to get out of here, I murmur into the large empty room. A quick dash leads me to the front door. My hand grips the doorknob. Freedom, only a few inches away when I hear a noise in the kitchen. A sound like the scraping of a knife against stone. I close my eyes. Someone is here. This is a real job. Hey, anyone in there? I kind of started spraying already. Stay there. I'll come to you. Again, no answer. I know the gas mask filter muffles my voice, but I'm a loud guy, and someone should have heard me. Frustration burns up my neck. Stomping down the hall, I pass the living room on my left, and further on, there's an opening to the right before I enter the kitchen in front of me. No one's ever treated me like this. One of the big companies might be fine with not having a personal connection, but not me. I always have a conversation with who I'm working with. I guess it's just an old-fashioned way to think. Some sunlight tries to sneak in from a window above the sink, but cobwebs and moth-eaten curtains capture the light. My heart clunks like an old outboard motor on its last legs. To my right, a fridge clicks and hums, and on the door I see a few photos of a smiling family, though there's something familiar I can't place. When I take a step closer, confusion clouds my thoughts. I've seen these people at the store. Why would someone hang the pictures that come with the frame? My bowels clench. I turn toward the far wall, spotting a painting of insects coalescing around an effigy. A pile of rodent carcasses festers in the corner next to the picture. I gag and thank God for my mask because that shit looks like the very definition of month-old barf. It appears I stumbled on the den of some creature, prepping for breeding and long months of no prey. What the fuck? Is this some sort of joke? Despite the anger of being sent to this dilapidated house, I can't shake the primordial warning of stepping into a place I didn't belong. You do. There's that damn voice. Tears collect in the corners of my eyes, and I don't want to face that truth. Not yet. Before I know what I'm doing, the rush of fluid courses through the nozzle. Liquid poison flows over the walls, the counters, the rats. A smile cuts across my face, threatening to rip my cheeks. Fuck it. If there are clients, I'll tell them to steer clear of the house. But for a moment, my mind erases the bills the worthlessness, the increasing tightening of my chest until I'm left with the thrill of spreading death. During this zen-like trance, I wonder if Morkin came through before I got here. The callers said they were everywhere, yet I haven't seen one errant fly or ant. Maybe they called multiple people. But if that was the case, why didn't they just have us bid on the job like the old days? There's a tickle at the back of my mind I can't place. Zeroing in on my task, I back up to get a better angle. Bumping into something, my skin breaks out into goosebumps as a loud ringing erupts. With a shaky finger, I let up on spraying and turn to find the source of the noise. An old rotary phone on a dusty table, handset rocking next to the receiver as if the owners had made a call and forgot to hang up. The ringing becomes garbled, sounding for all the world like someone drowning. 
Then a carpet of blackness with too many legs and eyes spills out of the corners, cracks and holes in the walls. My body tightens, the logical part of my brain disappearing under the torrent of ancient fear that's ripping through me. I forget the weapons at my side, how to speak, how to act like a human. Sharp pains shoot up and down my arm. I try and fail catching my breath. My thoughts fill with the base need to get as far away as I can from the wriggling mass. I explode out of the kitchen, the hose to my tank bouncing along the ground behind me. A terrible high-pitched screech fills the house, setting my teeth on edge. The halls twist and warp in front of me. Beneath my boots I hear the crunch of shells, exoskeletons, bones. My vision goes in and out. Memories of past jobs flit through me. The joy of a job well done, of having a purpose. A deep sadness along with resignation grows inside me. Something heavy smacks my face with a wet thud, bringing me to the present and forces me to bear witness to the trial against my life's work. The eight-legged judge, hanging from the ceiling, passes judgment and deems me guilty. The tugging at my back rips me out of my thoughts. My legs fly out in front of me as the weight of my pack throws me backwards. My head cracks against the floor, pain thundering between my ears. Dazed, I watch stars dance across my vision. My pack digs into my spine, the size of it forces my arms to hang awkwardly off the ground. Cold sweat prickles my skin, the ache in my chest unbearable. Long tendrils slide down from the ceiling. Eight spindly legs jutting out of each of the shadowy masses twitch and scrape at the air, a whisper of hair brushing against hair while they stretch for my skin. As my vision adjusts, I can make out their small clusters of eyes, and I cringe as they fade from a dull yellow to a bright red, an obscene sound of something wet opening and closing, clenching and releasing, fills the hall. I feel like a turtle on its back, straining to flip over as it watches the seagulls circling. I roll back and forth, fighting with the backpack and hose. All of those damned snaps and straps have me wrapped up like a Christmas present waiting to be opened. As they get closer, I lose the ability to name them. Primal instinct labels the spiders only by shape. Big hairy ones, thin deadly ones, glow-in-the-dark ones. Every nerve in my body tells me to give up. It takes all I have to not curl into myself. Their features gain definition as they reach the point where I could touch them. Horror electrifies me, and a burst of energy courses through me. I can't give up yet. I barely feel my muscles shake as I lift myself up. Picking a direction, I try like hell to book it out of here. Turning a corner, I enter a world of night. The lack of sight and sound plays havoc with my mind, conjuring images of some hairy beast devouring everything around me until only darkness remains. I grit my teeth and tighten my slippery grip on the nozzle. If I were to go out, I'd rather go out fighting a monster than alone on the couch. I plod forward, my body cold and hot at the same time. It's tough to tell if I'm making progress, but I think I am. 
Then I feel something thin tugging at my legs, reminding me of wading through a swamp and having weeds grab at my pants. Each step is a losing battle in a game of tug of war against the thing tightening around my thighs. I keep pushing. I gain some traction on the sticky floor and barrel ahead only to find someone has strung up a taut wire stomach high across the damn hall. It hurts like a son of a bitch and knocks the wind right out of me. I should have fallen. Instead, I'm stuck hanging on the line. I get my legs under me and try backing up, but all I accomplish is pulling my overalls away from my stomach before my clothes yank me back to the wire. Then I reach out to find out what it is. My hands grip a sticky strand and revulsion sends goosebumps up and down my arms. On instinct, I jerk back, but the line stays glued to my palm. It all clicks for me. Like an idiot fly, I've caught myself in something silky net. I hear it shifting in the dark, dragging its fat ass closer. I pluck at the web, causing the thing to scoot faster, eager to investigate. The smell of death mixes with the sharp tang of its poisoned breath. Come on, you fucker, let's dance. I wait in its trap, my motor function short-circuiting. Years of battling insects, devoting my life to this craft of genocide, stagger through my thoughts. A vice tightens around my heart until it feels like it's going to burst. As I got older, I lost clients to companies. My days emptied. I had nothing to do. There's a chitinous clicking in front of me, yet I can barely hear it through the constant rush in my ears. My friends passed away, alone and pathetic in their beds. That type of death terrifies me more than anything. I'm a warrior. I deserve a warrior's death. The pain in my chest reaches a point where I begin to lose time. A little bit of light in the hall reflects off the spider's slick abdomen, letting me judge its ass to be the size of a fucking golf cart. Thick legs reach out and poke me. Terror finds a way to reach through the fog enveloping my thoughts, and I piss myself. I fight to lift the nozzle, but it's too heavy. I feel my heart slowing, my brain shutting down. With one last push, I try to shoot the monster as it rears up, giving me a good final look at dripping fangs and a mouth eager to send me to hell. It crashes down on me as the world and my pain disappears. That was Matthew Brandenburg's The Exterminator's Lament, as read by Dan Gerzinski. Dan is a broadcast and audio engineer by trade, and has worked on many projects for local public stations. Lately, he's been recording literary works for LibriVox, as well as Tales to Terrify, and has just finished narrating his tenth audiobook on Amazon. Thank you, Dan. Well, children of the night, the hour is late, and we've run out of tales to tell. For now. Tales to Terrify is made possible by the tremendous generosity of our supporters on Patreon and PayPal, 
incredible fans like Amanda Carrillo, Amanda Gottfried, Kathy Robinson, Lesel Baxter, Orion D. Hegra, and Paul Belcher, whose generous support helps keep the lights on and flickering ominously. Not a supporter already? Head over to patreon.com slash tales to terrify, where you'll find all kinds of perks like ad-free episodes, bonus content, and one-of-a-kind collectibles and merch packs. Every dollar goes back into this show to make it as horrific as possible, and we appreciate it so much. Want another way to support the show that doesn't cost a cent? Head over to Stitcher, Podchaser, or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. You'll not only put an unnaturally wide smile on our faces, but help new listeners discover our terrifying tales, too. Why not share your love of the show out in the world with some Tales to Terrify merch? TalesToTerrify.com slash merch will take you to our Public store, where we've got a great collection of creepy custom and curated designs that's always growing. Tales to Terrify is produced by Seth Williams, Meredith Morgenstern, Andrew Gibson, and myself, Drew Sebastini, with original theme by Nebulous Entertainment. Tales to Terrify is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Join us again next week as we unleash the demons within with more Tales to Terrify. you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with juvederm voluma xc in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment look younger feel like you add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with juvederm voluma xc reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with juvederm volur xc for important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. On Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.